0: Jewish Latin Princess, episode 53, Mara Strom, creator of Kosher on a Budget. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women. And from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Did you do an accounting of how much you actually spent this year on Passover? Did you go over budget? I did. My only saving grace is that my order for meat and chicken this year was large enough to last me till Rosh Hashanah, so it all balances out. Now, budget for Passover? You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. Welcome to the show. I'm Yael Trust your host. Yes, my guest today would tell you it is a wise thing to have a budget for Passover and for everything else. And I would agree. Although the word budget does not sound very princess-like, does it? My guest today claims budget and abundance can go in the same sentence. She says that we work so hard on figuring out how to make money, we need to also work hard on knowing how we're spending it. I have Mara Strom on the show. Mara is the creator of Kosher on a Budget. Mara and I talk about the incredible journey with debt that led her to the creation of this highly successful blog, which has been a profitable business for Mara for a number of years. Mara, who made Aliyah last year, tells us how to plan financially for Aliyah and what are the financial benefits of living in Israel. How scary was it to go public with her financial struggles, especially living in an observant Jewish community? How do we deal with the many expectations and pressures and I dare say judgment that we may face as part of a close knit community when we're determined to take control over our financial? Lives and not keep up with the Schwartzes. Hmm. And what happens if we're not in debt, or if we've gotten out of debt? Do we ditch the budget then, or will it still still serve us? Hmm, listen to what Mara has to say. I suggest you download Mara's ebook, The Better Budget Guide and use the code Princess to get $5 off the book and workbook price um, to get it for $9.99. The Better Budget Guide will definitely teach you everything that Mara has been teaching for years about budgeting, how to feel good about it and succeed at it. And there's more. If you're ready to embark on this work full on and start seeing the savings immediately, and I'm talking 30% savings just on your groceries alone, a month. And for most of us that's at least $300 of after-tax money in our bank accounts a month. Hmm. You know what that can do for you when you put it into a low-cost index fund? I've talked about this many times on the show, but yes, compounding, the eighth wonder of the world. Anyways, if you want to learn how to save 30% on groceries a month and I'm sure you do because we all do. Head over right now and sign up for Kosher Grocery Academy at kosheronabudget.com forward slash grocery. And I really mean hurry because unfortunately, the doors to Kosher Grocery Academy close on Wednesday, April 11th. And I wish I'd told you about this before, but there was a major holiday going on here, Passover, right? So I'm telling you now, this course is beyond awesome. So head over to kosheronabudget.com forward slash grocery to sign up for Kosher Grocery Academy. Here we go, ladies. This is a super inspiring, candid and insightful interview. I know you will definitely learn a lot. Here's Mara Strum. Mara Strum, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Yael. I feel like you don't need any introduction because I mean who doesn't know you? I've have personally been following you since forever, right? And following your Thank tips on you. what to buy and you know where the best deals are. But you are the mastermind of behind the highly successful blog kosher on a budget. And I want to start with this because I know that even though it's called kosher on a budget, you really teach people how to live an abundant lifestyle while sticking with budgeting, with meal planning, with savings. And in fact, your tagline is living fruitfully without multiplying your budget. And so what right. my question is a lot of in, in in a lot of people's minds the word abundance and abundant lifestyle does not go in the same sentence as budget. So talk Mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that philosophy.
1: Okay. Well, that's a great question. Um, So you're right. I mean, budgeting really gets a bad reputation. People hear that word and they immediately feel confined. They have like a negative gut reaction to that word. They think someone's telling them what to do and they're going to be miserable and they won't have any freedom and they won't be able to be spontaneous. So, To me, budgeting is a beautiful word, obviously, and I've sort of flipped it on its head because to me, what budgeting means is not someone else telling me what to do. Budgeting means me telling my money what to do. It means Mm -hmm. that I'm making purchases and saving money with intentionality. So often, you know, we're at the grocery store and we swipe our credit card and we sort of sign our name on the pad or you know, sometimes we don't even have to sign our name anymore. Maybe it's a a thumbprint or something. And then, you know, we get in the car. And if I were to catch you at that very moment and say to you like, hey, how much money do you think you just spent at the grocery store? The vast majority of people wouldn't be able to say, oh, I spent $80, I spent $90, I spent $32. They would really have no idea because we're we're just so um, focused on everything else except for what we're doing with our money. So to me, budgeting means that we focus on what we're going to do with our money and we do it with intentionality. So yes, you absolutely can live abundantly. You can live fruitfully, but it has to be done with intentionality because you can't do all the things all the time. You have to make choices. And so by being on a budget, I allow myself to focus in to really think about what's most important to me and then how do I prioritize those things in order to achieve my goals.
0: Yes, because there are trade-offs. Exactly.
1: Absolutely. Now, you can't Ma- all the things all the time.
0: Now, Mara, were you always like this, or was did you start? Was this connected to a personal journey, your beginnings in co- on kosher on a budget?
1: Absolutely. I, you know, you said, was I always like this? I wish I had always been like this because I would probably have a big fat investment account right now if I had (laughs) always been like this. But sadly, it took me until my mid-30s to figure this stuff out. You know, one of my biggest regrets is that it it took me a long time of being adult until I could actually act adult with my money. Mm -hmm. So the personal journey behind Kosher on a Budget is that um, my husband and I found ourselves 10 years ago, actually, um, 10 years ago, pretty much this time, 10 years ago, we found ourselves $30,000 in consumer debt plus our mortgage. And we weren't making very much money at the time. We were making about $40,000 a year. So our debt was almost as much as our annual income. Whoa! And on top of that, when I sat down and finally calculated what was going on with our money, I realized that we were spending about a Thousand dollars a month more than we were making, so every single month we were running a thousand dollar deficit, which meant that we were adding another thousand dollars to our debt load. So that thirty thousand dollars, if we wouldn't have figured it out ten years ago and stopped things, would have been forty two or forty five thousand dollars after another year, and it would have just kept going up incrementally. You know, we were just spiraling down into this into this pit of of, of debt and and financial right. responsibility.
0: And assuming if you were putting that money in a credit card, forget it, compound interest. I mean, I don't even want to think about the number.
1: (laughs) Correct. Correct. Um, So it was not a good situation. You know, I say that we were really, we were in a pit. It was very dark. There was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Um, And the thing that was so maddening to me is that I couldn't figure out where it had come from. I mean, I looked around my my, my life, my home, my family. We didn't have extravagant purchases. We didn't travel extravagantly. I didn't have extravagant jewelry or clothing. We weren't buying, you know, brand new cars. I, there was nothing that I could point to and say, aha, this is where we went wrong. It was the slow accumulation of life that brought us to that point of consistently making choices or in our case, sort of abdicating the responsibility to make choices that brought us to this point of spending $1,000 a month more than we were making. And what I realized is that our story was not especially unique. While there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of shame for me personally around our story, as I eventually started to talk about it through my blog, Kosher on a Budget, I realized because I heard from so many people who read my blog that this is their story too. And really, that's why I shared these stories, these you know personal kind of embarrassing moments in, in our financial lives because I wanted other people to know that they aren't alone either. And so although Coach Runner Budget is very well known for all the amazing deals at Amazon and Target and online and, and, and in stores and, and people love it and they love to get great deals, I think the glue that sort of binds us all together is this commitment to really figuring our stuff out when it comes to money and, and to finally being adults when it comes to money.
0: Yes did you find that the fa- that you are an orthodox jewish woman living a kosher lifestyle did you find um as you were getting feedback from people out there that there was something a, a common thread with this financial situation that many of us can relate to and this lifestyle? Because there are many people in America or maybe elsewhere who, you know, who find themselves in this, in this place. Is there something that you find that was unique to us?
1: That's a great question. I think that you are right that in the States, um, you know, credit card debt is pervasive. Um, It's very, very common for people not to pay off their full credit card every month. I hardly know anyone who doesn't have a car loan. We were considered weirdos because we refused to have a car loan. We only bought, you know, used cars that we could pay cash for. Mm-hmm. I, this idea of living in debt is, uh, is very common and very accepted in the states. Yes. However, I think that there is, a unique challenge for our community, for the Orthodox Jewish community, because specifically the lifestyle that goes along with our religious beliefs tends to be a lifestyle that sort of gets us into these mindsets of, well, this is non-negotiable, and this is non-negotiable, and this is non-negotiable. So even if the numbers don't work, and oftentimes they don't, people feel like, well, we don't have a choice. Um, and once you feel like you don't have a choice, then it becomes... Either easier or harder, I guess, depending on your perspective, to make good choices in other areas as well. It's like, well, if I'm already in over my head, what does it matter if I buy the new shoes or the new purse or the makeup or or go on this trip or whatever it is? Anyway,
0: you know. I'm- I
1: see. So I, I think that there is something unique to our community between the cost of day school. Um. You know, I've heard that you need to make anywhere between two hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars a year in order to afford to have three or four children in school.
0: A hundred percent. I've done the math. It, 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 that is it, a fact. It's,
1: it's, it's an outrageous amount of money. And the reality is while many people can make salaries like that, even more people cannot. Um, and so we have this crisis really in our community where people feel like they're forced into certain decisions um, because of the ethos of the community and also because of their own personal value system. And then they're just stuck. There's nowhere to go. Um, and, you know, you add to that the cost of smachot and bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings and, you know, hosting for the chagim and, you know, just buying your sukkah and your lulav and etrag every year um, and, you know, clothing for the holidays. And um, if, if, a, if a woman wears a shetel, I mean, there's so many costs that just um, are really in that kind of non-negotiable category mm-hmm. that it's very easy to feel squeezed, even when you make what would be considered by any other standard, a really, really good salary.
0: Yes. Yes. But so, so let's not get back to you because you were able to turn the situation around and really. Thank God. Yes. Re- reevaluate the quote unquote, non-negotiables and just, and really flip the entire paradigm for you and your family. And that must have taken a lot of mindset work. I always feel like money, you know, these things, 90% of the work is internal and 10% is Mm -hmm. just numbers work. Mm -hmm. So, so how long did it take you to, first of all, get out of debt and, and as throughout that process, I'm assuming that there was a complete mindset as well as lifestyle shift.
1: So you are right that there was a mindset shift. And I think that the, the best way that I can describe it is I simply said, that's it. We are not going to do this anymore. And it sounds easy to, to say and like, oh, yeah, I could say that too, but nothing would change. But I had really reached sort of my rock bottom moment. Um, I tell this story that, that I knew that something had to change when I was sitting at home in my apartment. We were living in Israel at the time. Mm -hmm. I was sitting at home in my apartment and I heard the mail carrier steps uh, on outside of my door and my heart started to race and my ears were ringing and my palms were sweating and I was actually having an anxiety attack. Why was the mailman giving me an anxiety attack? Because I knew he was bringing a bill that I wasn't going to be able to pay. We oh, yeah. had been pushing and pushing and pushing things around and using one card to pay the next card to pay the next card. Our our uh, utilities bills were, you know, spread out over four, six, eight months. You know, we were going to be paying until the summer on, on utilities that we had used in the winter. We were in a bad situation. And I heard those steps and I thought, you know, I actually thought I was possibly having a heart attack. I mean, it was really bad. <laughs> Uh, thank God, I was not. Um, but that was that was sort of my rock bottom moment. I thought, like, I can't continue to live like this. I had a four year old and a two year old at home, and, and we wanted to have more children. And I thought, what, you know, what are we doing? Like, they're going to go to school. They're going to have bigger needs, more expensive needs. We're eventually going to have bigger, more expensive needs. You know, we can't barely, we can't even afford our groceries. And right now, right now, mm-hmm. so that was my rock bottom moment. And the mindset change really was just saying, okay. We can't do this anymore. Um, And one of the first things that I did was I sat down and I calculated everything we owed, whether it was on a credit card or, you know, in Israel, you can have your account be in minus, um, your checking account. That basically means that you have negative balance. So we had... You know twelve thousand shekels and minus in minus our in our checking account, we owed money to my parents. they had given us money to buy a car. we owed money on an on a oven that we had to replace. I mean every single thing that we owed money on, I listed it out now. Some people would find this to be a really overwhelming and depressing exercise, but I a little bit strange as I said before, and I actually found it very empowering. Because I believe strongly that knowledge is power. And when we are burying our heads in the sand, we are making ourselves less and less and less powerful. So once I saw those numbers written on a piece of paper and I said, okay, I know the magnitude now, I suddenly didn't feel like a victim anymore.
0: I mm-hmm. felt like I was
1: in charge. I was going to set out a course, you know, together with my husband, obviously, to change those things. So we did. We set out a course to change those things. We made some dramatic cuts. Um, in our lifestyle, which again, we weren't living so extravagantly, but even small things like we were getting, you know, water delivered every single month from, from, from a bottled water company. And so, you know, we stopped that and, you know, gifts for, for my children, when they had to go to birthday parties, we bought the most modest gifts. You know, we set like a five shekel, like a $2 limit on our gifts and, and we really just changed everything. But but beyond that, I also really started to hustle to make more money. Because mm-hmm. when you're only making forty or 50000 dollars a year, an extra thousand dollars a month can change your life. Yes. So, you know, if you're making two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars a year, the impact maybe isn't as great. It's still helpful, but it's not as great. But for us, that was almost a third of our income right there. So I started to really hustle to bring in more work. And within a month, we had gone from spending $1,000 a month more than we were making to having $1,000 in a savings account and breaking even every single month with money left over to pay down on our debt. So we made about a $2,000 shift within that first month. And then the ball just kept rolling and we were so committed and so excited. And we didn't mind saying no to a lot of things that other people would, you know, think, like, how can you say no to that? Because we knew that we were doing this in order to change our future. We were going to live this way temporarily in the present so that our future would be better.
0: And that I was think the this is that a, change. Yeah, I think that's a very important point because it's you have to have that goal and saying You have to have that goal very, very clear in your mind, and and Mm -hmm. and when you have that, then then making the trade offs and communicating to others that no, you're not hosting that party or whatever it might be, whatever the expense might be. Mm -hmm. When you have the goal in mind and you're very clear with your partner that this is what you're working towards, then it becomes a lot more easy, a lot easier, right? You're right, definitely.
1: And I think even today, I mean, you know, as I said, that was ten years ago. Today, we have, you know. As much money as we were in debt, we have sitting in an in a emergency savings account today. And every single month we make a budget and, and it balances and we don't, you know, spend more than we make and we're very careful and we continue to save for retirement and our kids college and, and you know, future smahots, and we have all sorts of savings goals that we have. But the one constant that has remained is that I continually evaluate uh, the choices that we're making with our money, just like we did 10 years ago when we had to live on, you know, almost nothing in order to, you know, free up as much income as we could to pay off that debt. The, urgency isn't the same, uh, necessarily because the debt isn't bearing down on us, but I still feel that sense of urgency to be as careful and as mindful and as intentional as possible with how we spend our money. Because what's most important to me, and I say the same thing to every single couple that I coach and, and, you know, reader that writes to me and says like, what am I supposed to do about my finances? I can't figure this out. You want to live your values. And oftentimes, people feel like, oh, I can't afford to do whatever this really important thing is to me because there's just no money left. And I say, all right, let's take a look at what you're spending your money on. And too often, we find that we're spending money on the things that aren't actually our top priorities. Right. What I encourage people to do is line up where the money is going with what matters most to you.
0: Yes. I often say, show me, your, show me your bank statement and I'll tell you where your values are. <laughs>
1: and, you are and, so right. So, so right. And sometimes, so, you know, we don't even realize that, that that's what we're doing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, so when you started Kosher in a budget, um, okay, so you're going through this transformation and you start blogging. Do you start blogging during the process of paying down the debt or, does that, or, the, or does the, is the blog born afterwards?
1: the blog was born about a year after we had paid off the debt. Uh-huh. At the time that I started the blog, we were just working on finishing up our emergency fund. And unlike the debt, which has never come back, the emergency fund has, you know, sort of ebbed and flowed over the past nine years. You know, sometimes we have an emergency and we need to use it. And so then it comes down a little bit and then we have to work to, to save it back up. But I was closing in on the process of finishing saving up our emergency fund and that's when I started to write the blog. And really, the the deals sort of go hand in hand with this philosophy because the impetus for me starting the blog was that I was, at the time, because we were still working very hard to save up our emergency fund and although we were making more money than we had been the year or, or, or two previous, we weren't, you know, we'd certainly not, not hit six figures yet even. And Mm -hmm. so I was very, very careful with our groceries because I had realized that that was an area where I could really affect a lot of change in our budget. And again, just like I said, like I said making an extra $1,000 a month can change your life. So spending $1,000 a month less can also you know, change your life, especially when you consider that's after-tax money. So we were very careful. And at that time, I was only spending $500 a month on groceries. Um, wow. <laughs> which you know, compared to some is a, is a ton. But in the kosher community, I, I think that was, that was pretty good. That is
0: pretty. That, that's that is that's pretty really good. good.
1: We've increased our budget since then, but, uh, you know, we had some serious goals and I wasn't gonna, you know, gonna let uh, let myself go at the grocery store and, and then not be able to achieve my goals. So what happened when I started the blog was that a friend of mine had been asking me, you know, Mara, how do you spend so little at the grocery store? Like, where do you get all these great deals from? How do you get your toothpaste for free? And, and where do you get this toilet paper for almost free? And, you know, and, and how do you get such cheap eggs and milk and... So I said, oh, I read this blog, I read that blog. And at the time, there were a lot of um, sort of money-saving blogs. And a huge number of them, the vast majority, maybe even 100% of them, were written by by Christian women who saw their blogs almost as an extension of their value system. And mm-hmm. so the blogs taught me a lot. Um, but I still had to sort of read it through a filter, you know, first of all, because obviously they were writing about products that weren't kosher that I could never buy. And also just, you know, their lifestyle and their values were really different than mine. So I sort of took what was useful to me. And so I was recommending to my friend that she read these blogs. And she said, you know, Mara, you should think about starting a blog for the Jewish community. And I looked at her and I said, well, there's already so many blogs. What does the world need with another blog? And this was, you know, nine years ago when there was a fraction of the number of blogs that there are today. But Anyway, what she said really stuck in my head, and I kept mulling it over. And eventually, I started kosher
0: on a budget, and that's really how it began. And did you treat it as a or think of it, or treat it as a business from the get go? I mean, what were your expectations when you got started?
1: That's a good question. Um, so before I started kosher on a budget, I was working as a freelance writer, and um, and I know that you recently had on my my friend Abby parents, yes. is the master of freelance writing. And, um, and she and I sort of share this in common, you know, this, this way of making money from home and still being with our kids, but you know, making, making a decent income. So I was working as a freelance writer. And one of the, the things that I was doing in that capacity was I was ghost writing blogs for, for big companies, nonprofit organizations and the like. So I had a sense, um, of how blogging worked from the back end. And similarly, as I said, I was following these other blogs pretty carefully, and I knew that a lot of them were making money. I wasn't totally sure how they were making money, but I knew Mm -hmm. they were making money. So when I started Kosher on a Budget, I understood that it would be possible to make money, but I wasn't sure if I would be able to do that, Um, and I wasn't sure if anybody would even want to read the blog. So when I started the blog, in my head, I had this idea that if after six or nine months, people were, you know, sort of reading the blog and it, and it was catching on, then I would try to monetize it. But I didn't do anything to monetize it at the beginning.
0: And, and so out, of- it, it did catch on. Mm-hmm. And so at what point did you start making money, like serious money that your husband said, oh, you're really contributing, keep it up.
1: <laughs> so... I think around, I I, I think at about six months, I started to monetize the blog. And one of the first things I did was I put, you know, advertisements in the sidebar. And, you know, I mean, I was making like $20 a month. I mean, you know, it wasn't even enough to pay for one trip to the grocery store, but slowly it started growing. And the, the ways that I was monetizing the site expanded. And I learned more about how people made money from their blogs. And I started to try out those things. And it was really a process of trial and error. But as I, Made money on the blog and saw it returning month after month. So eventually, I would sort of let go one of my freelance clients um, because at the time I was making about three thousand dollars a month from my freelance writing, and I thought I can't afford to quit all of those clients and focus full time on this blog because what if I don't make any money? And we needed, you know, we needed my income. We couldn't live with. We couldn't live without it. Right. So I think it took about a year. A little over a year, maybe fifteen months, for me to fully wean myself off of those freelance clients and be focused exclusively on the blog, um, and then just sort of year after year, as the readership grew and my ability to to work efficiently increased, um, you know, the in, the income did continue to grow from the site.
0: Uh, I love it. I love the story. I, I really do. And, and Mara, I have to. I, I mean, I have to admit, there's so many. Um, tricks to doing what you do like uh, just understanding amazon i I always marvel at you like how does she get it it's not so commonsensical and i know you teach people how to do it but i mean you and you also produce a lot of content you post uh, weekly sometimes several times a week right well usually i post a couple times a day
1: i mean sometimes i post you know i don't really post on on friday's Saturdays and and maybe even not on Sundays, but, uh, Sunday through Thursday or Monday through Thursday, I'm posting at least five to eight
0: times a day. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I get, I get your newsletters with all the, the, the recap from the week. And sometimes it's several of those with, you know, the, right. all the sales and the links. So how do you keep it all organized? I mean, how do you even find all of this out? <laughs> So people
1: always say that to me and I'm like, well, I spend a lot of time online. Um, <laughs> you know, after nine years, you've sort of figured out, you know, what are the ins and what do people look for and how do I set a price alert? And I've also figured out what my readers connect with, you know, when it comes to to sales that I'm telling them about, you know, um, what do my readers really want to know? One of the things that I discovered early on is that my readers are very interested in saving money on products for their household, Mm -hmm. um, and they want to be able to do that online and that they're willing to pay a little bit more, not a lot more, but a little bit more for convenience of being able to shop online and have it shipped to their home. And I always – this is an example that I use – that they would prefer to do that than let's say print a coupon and go to the store and buy a product with a coupon, even if it's the same product. So one time I remember there was one week where um, there was a sale on Colgate toothpaste um, at CVS and there was a coupon for it. And if you printed the coupon and you went to CVS, you could actually get the toothpaste completely free. Okay. Uh, The same week, that same toothpaste was on sale at Amazon for $1 per tube. So I, Posted about the coupon, and I think maybe a dozen people printed that coupon. And then two days later, I posted about the tube of toothpaste for sale at Amazon, and 75 people bought a tube of toothpaste for a dollar.
0: Mm-hmm. And I thought,
1: hmm, I think I'm on to something here. And so over time, I realized that although there may be you know, some readers who do kind of miss all those store matchups that I used to do, uh, for me to spend the time and obviously, you know, just like you have to balance, uh, you know, prioritize your budget, you have to prioritize your time as well. So I realized that the that I was getting um, more impact when I was focusing on, on ways that people could save money um, online versus, you know, going to the store. Uh, and the other thing is that I have readers from all over the United States. I have readers in Canada, I have readers in Israel, I have readers in South America, and most of those readers... They don't all have the same stores. They don't have the same schedules, the same flexibility, but they all have access to the internet. And so that's really where I focused a a lot of my energy in the blog.
0: Yes, yes. It's super, super helpful. Now, Mara, you've expanded since those early days. It's not just a blog where we get the deals on information, but you do coaching. You've published a downloadable book, right, recently, a couple months ago. And Uh now you're lunch... Yeah, tell us about the book before we get to the course. What's the name of the book? so
1: the book is called The Better Budget Guide and Mm -hmm. Workbook, and your readers can check it out at betterbudgetguide.com. This is a book that I've literally been writing for five years. (laughs) Um, And it's it's not because it's, you know, a 500-page book. It's just I have this perfectionism disorder where – where, like, I'll stop doing something because I can't make it perfect. And finally, a friend of mine uh, kind of gave me a kick in the rear end and said, just, just publish this, Mara. It's
0: amazing. Just publish it. You're going to help people. It sounds like something Abby would tell us. <laughs>
1: in fact, it was Abby.
0: <laughs> See, I know my friends well. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I hope she's listening to this. So, right. So
1: she said, Mara, just do this. What is your problem? And I was like, what is my problem? So I finally published it in November. And it's really, it is everything that I teach on the blog and that I teach to clients when I work with them one-on-one. and Or, or when I go and I teach courses, I've gone to all sorts of different Jewish communities, all of the United States, and I've taught courses. This is what I teach distilled into um, a very easy to read, very easy to download book and workbook that goes together. So to take people through the process of how do you make and live on and actually stick to a budget, um, feel good about it, and succeed at it. Um, these are all the lessons that I know about living on a budget distilled into, into one book. And so I launched that book in November and the cost by the way i wanted to tell your readers that the cost of the book and the workbook together are 14.99 mm-hmm. because i love you and i know you love a deal and i assume your listeners are the same way <laughs> yes i did create a coupon code uh, which is princess oh, oh i love that Hello. So if they go to betterbudgetguide.com and they enter the coupon code princess, they will save $5, um, which is a third of the price of the
0: book, and they'll get the book and the workbook together for $9.99. Thank you. That is awesome. I, I, I really think this book would be, I mean, I know it's going to be helpful to me. So I, I can only, I mean, it's, this is going to be great for everybody. And just going back to the book and something that you mentioned before that I think it's important to highlight. You said before that even though, even when the debt went away and, you know, you were already making more money, you still kept the, the, the budget in place. You still check. Yes. You still keep yourself that, that discipline. And I think this is important because very often I find it's been true to me. It's one of the challenges when you Finish getting out of debt, because I have a similar story also. I I also hit rock bottom, like I had a wake up call and I, and I, we got ourselves out of debt and in a very tight budget and so on and so forth. But I find that there is a, a phenomenon that occurs that as you're making more money, you end up spending more money. In particular when you're not, the sense of urgency is not there. So you've been very good about keeping that. And do you address that in the, in the, in the book?
1: Well, I do talk a little bit um, about the longevity of budgeting and the mindset behind budgeting because that Mm -hmm. implies, you know, sometimes a reader will say, well, I don't have any debt. Does this still apply to me? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Okay.
1: Because the money that we have, we work really hard to bring that money into our home. Right. Yes. Like we, you know, either we work a paycheck job or we're, we're hustling as, as entrepreneurs and, and all these side jobs that we have. I mean, we're working hard and we're making sacrifices to work. I mean, even though we may love working, I mean, I love working. I love what I do, but I'm also making sacrifices. Right. And I'm staying up till two in the morning, making my hum and dough, you know, Purim is coming and, and, and it's, it's a constant balance, right? It's not like I'm, you know, just doing one thing and, and, and everything else just, just does itself. So we're making a lot of sacrifices and we're working really hard to bring that money into our home. And one of the things that I say in the book and I say to every single client that I coach is you should work just as hard on how that money goes out of your home. Mm. We're so focused on what we need to do educationally and professionally in order to increase our income and to be successful professionally. Let's do the same thing with how that money leaves our home, leaves our household. And that is a mindset which is true whether you have debt, whether you don't have debt. It's very, um, even the people who are fortunate enough not to have debt, oftentimes they feel like there's really big things that they can't do because there's not enough money. And that's where you need to look at the priorities and figure out, wait a minute, is it true that I can't do this or am I spending money on things that aren't really reflecting my values?
0: Right, right, right. So, Mara, tell us about your exciting new course. Oh, thank you. So I uh,
1: recently uh, asked all of my coach-runner-budget readers to, to complete a reader survey. And one of the things I asked them was, What is the most important thing that you want to learn, which I can teach you about saving money or living on a budget? And I listed I don't know, 10 or 15 different things. And the number one thing far and away with over 65% of my readers saying that they wanted to learn this was how to save money at the grocery store. Mm. It sort of brought me back to my roots, right? I mean, kosher on a budget, you know, people who are new to kosher on a budget sometimes look at it and say, Oh, I thought it was all gonna be about food. And it's you know, there's not a lot of food here. It's a lot of, you know, toiletries and household items and toys and clothing and 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 electronics and technology and you know things I can buy online, but, but where's the food? So I said, Oh, you know what? I think we're gonna go back to our roots. So I created the kosher grocery academy, which will teach students how to save 30% or more every single month at the grocery store.
0: Whoa, and that's a huge! Wow, uh huh.
1: Don't have to use a single
0: coupon to Oh, do <laughs> I, have,
1: I have a sigh of that relief. Sigh of relief. I heard it <laughs> because you know we think that like oh well there's no way I can save money unless I'm going to spend hours every week clipping the coupons and it's just not worth it and I want to buy healthy foods and these foods aren't healthy and so what's the point of it and you're right you're right. That is a true and correct instinct you're having. So could you save more money clipping coupons? Yeah, probably. And I might even have a bonus feature in the course to teach people who really want to learn how to use coupons to do it in a sane way because, you know, couponing, kind of like budgeting, got a bad reputation from all those extreme couponers. But the truth (laughs) of the matter is that you don't need to clip a single coupon in order to dramatically reduce the amount of money you're spending every single month at the grocery store. So all of the secrets, everything that I know, all of the ways that I saved nine years ago when we were getting out of debt until today, when we are staying out of debt and saving for our future, all of those things are distilled into this course. So I am launching it next month. I'm furiously working on it now to get it ready to launch. And again, if your readers are interested in finding out more, they can go to kosheronabudget.com backslash grocery. And this is what I tell people. When you say 30%, you know, people are like, well, I don't really know how much I'm spending right now. So most of the clients that I work with in coaching, when we look at their groceries, I have yet to come across a family with children who's spending less than $900 or $1,000 a month in the grocery store. Most are spending more. Some are spending twice that much or more. So if you are spending $1,000 a month and you learn all of my secrets and now you can save 30% every single month, that's $300 a month that you're saving. $300 of after-tax money that you're no longer spending on groceries that you can spend or save for anything else that matters to you. That's almost $4,000 a year.
0: Can you imagine putting that money into an investment account? I mean, that's huge.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. And with compounding interest. Yeah. You're speaking my language.
0: (laughs) Oh oh yeah. I'm all about this. (laughs) You you know, I'm taking this course. I want an extra $300 a month in my investment account. That's for sure. (laughs) And the beautiful thing about this is that it does not take
1: Time. It does not take a lot of time. There's a bit of a learning curve at the beginning. The course itself is six weeks long. At the end of those six weeks, you're ready to launch and to save money. And it will not take a lot of time because to me, saving time is almost as important as saving
0: money. Yes, that is a big one. That is a good point. Now, Mara, are you still doing this? The, how do you budget? Do you have an do you do it the old school way with an Excel, Excel spreadsheet? Or are you into your an app? Do you use Mint? What do you use? Give us the in on what, what is what does Mara use on the day to day to keep up with her budget?
1: So for a very, very long time, I did use an Excel budget, Excel sheet, you know, that every month I was updating and tweaking the budget numbers, and I was using Mint to track my expenses. Tracking, by the way is just as important, if not more important, than the actual budgeting itself. Because if you're making a budget, but you're not tracking what you're doing with your money, then you have no idea if you're sticking to your budget or not. So then your budget is just some sort of like aspirational document. I mean, you may as well, you know, just make a vision board and stick it up in your in your bedroom because it's almost irrelevant to your life if you're not tracking. So I was using Mint to track and Excel to budget and then I think it was three, three and a half years ago. I switched over to a program called You Need a Budget (YNAB). Um, mm-hmm. It's not free, which is the downside. I think it costs fifty dollars a year. It's it's five dollars a month, or if you sign up for the year, it's fifty dollars a year. But it it is, in my opinion, a phenomenal program. Um, and I actually, you know, I'd already been budgeting at that point for over five years and was was pretty good at it, if I do say so myself. And you know, YNAB just completely tightened everything up. We were saving more money than ever before. We were being more intentional than ever before. There's a really nice integration in YNAB, and I'm, you know, I don't make any money off this. I just, I just love this program. There's a great integration in YNAB between the tracking and the budgeting. So if I've projected that we're going to spend a thousand dollars, you know, at the grocery store this month, um, and then I go to the grocery store and I spend, I don't know, a hundred and fifty automatically I'll see that I only have eighty eight hundred and fifty dollars left to spend. Um, mm-hmm. And there's an app for it, and my husband has it also on his phone, and, and it's synced up automatically, and we just love YNAB. But whatever program you use, and honestly, the program that you use is less important than that you use something. Um, and the best program to use is the one that you and your, your, your partner, your spouse, um, will actually use. Because um, if you're not going to use it again, we're back to the, you know, Aspirational document stuck on a bulletin board in your room.
0: Right, right. Well, I'll have to check it out because I've, I've I've used Mint before. We we actually weren't fans of it, so we went back to the very old school glitchy. way.
1: I don't know if you found that, but I, I found it to be a little glitchy.
0: Yeah, and I also yeah yeah, and I didn't feel like I was integrated with 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 what was really going on with my money, with the budget, with the plan. With the plan, let's just say. So yeah.
1: That was also for me the downside. It was like I tracked in mint and then I had to look at Excel. It was it was a little clunky.
0: Yeah, yeah. It it was clumsy. Yes. So Mara, you recently moved back to Israel. Have you talked Yeah, Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. Did you have you talked to your audience about (laughs) what? Minor change in lifestyle. Just a minor change in lifestyle. You're you're more of a traveler than I am, and I've moved many places. But you, I've moved many times. But I think you you might top me on this one.
1: I, I think yeah, we have that wandering Jew thing in
0: common. Yeah, we definitely do. So Mara, did you talk to your audience already about how you planned financially for this move, and or how to effectively plan? Because this is a this is a big change, and i I'm, I have a yeah. feeling that you were very intentional about how to do it to make it work financially?
1: So I would love to say, yes, we planned this very carefully. But the truth is, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we made the decision in July and came back in August. Hello. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So... You know, when we told people we were moving, so, okay, just to give you the brief highlight, nine years ago, okay, let me go further back. In 1997, I was single. I was in my early 20s, and I made Aliyah. And I met my husband. Long story short, I met my husband. We got married. We had two children. And in in 2008, we moved back to the States for what was going to be two years. And then, you know, as life kind of happens, it didn't work out to be two years. It was quite a bit longer. Um, so we ended up being in the States for nine years. Um, and then we moved back to Israel in August of 2017. So when people, when we told people we were moving back, they said, oh my gosh, it's so sudden. And like, when did you make this decision? And, and it was, in fact, somewhat sudden, but also the most belabored decision I think any couple has ever made. Because literally the day that we landed back in the States in 2008, we started having the conversation about when we were going to go back to Israel. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I don't want to say that it was, it wasn't exactly spontaneous. It wasn't like we had never considered it before, but the, 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 the impetus, the push to finally just say yes, that was rather sudden. Um, although I say to people, because since we've moved back, I have to say that I've heard from a lot of coach on a budget readers, and this is so gratifying. This is one of the benefits. And you know, this of putting your life out there, like on the one hand, it's super intimidating because your life isn't always Pinterest perfect. In fact, oh yeah. <laughs> never Pinterest perfect. But, um, but the gratifying part about it is that like people connect to you because they're going through the same things that you're going through. And then they see someone who's willing to talk about it openly. And right. some, of, some of the times these things that people are going through, it's like they're secrets. They're not telling anyone about this stuff. So I've actually heard from almost a dozen readers um, in the last six months since we moved back here saying, oh my God, tell me everything because this is our plan too. So that is <laughs> amazing. I love it. Um, and, and you know, one of the things that I've, I've said to almost everybody who's reached out to me is like, look, at the end of the day, moving at all and certainly moving to Israel, it, it's going to require a leap of faith. You can come very, very close to certainty that it's the right thing for you and your family and the right timing, and you can have all your ducks in a row, but you're not there completely. You need to be willing to just walk off that little edge at the end and, and leap you know, into the faith that this is going to be the right thing for your family. Yes. Um, and that's so... So frightening, you know, especially for a person like myself, who's really into like a plan. I like to have everything planned. So I realized that somewhat incongruous was saying like, yes, I decided in July and we came back in August to say that I like everything planned. And the truth is that those six weeks were the most stressful six weeks of my life. And I've gone through some stressful things in my life, but those six weeks were just bananas. I mean, I, my blood pressure was through the roof for those that (laughs) whole time because I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But uh, as my husband gingerly pointed out, and he's not the type who needs to have everything planned, of course, um, <laughs> he pointed out, he said, you know, Mar, even if we had decided six months ago or 16 months ago, so you would have been stressed for six months or 16 months. This way you're only stressed for six weeks.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I could totally relate to that because I we made a major move also within three weeks. It wasn't even a month. And oh my gosh. I, in, in hindsight, I was happy that we did it that way. Um, For various reasons, one of them being exactly what your husband said. However, Mara, I do have to say that, yes, it's a big leap of faith, but you did have certain things in place that I don't think should be, um, overlooked. I mean, you had, you weren't in debt. You had a solid six month, or I don't know how big emergency fund, but it was definitely an emergency fund. You were already in, you know, investing for other goals. So, so you know, you, you worked towards this. and I would think, I think that's, that is something important to recognize.
1: Absolutely. And I, I you know, we we had a lot going um, in our favor, even though it was a sort of short decision-making time window, not only the things that you mentioned, but also both my husband and I work from home. So we didn't have any gap in income. We knew that we would be working, you know, literally two days after we got here, basically as soon as we got internet hooked up. Right. Um, and that, that is, that is a big piece of it for a lot of people who make Aliyah when they need to make career changes or at least, you know, uh, recertify in whatever their career was abroad, you know, here in Israel. So th- that takes some time. And so oftentimes people need to have, you know, six months or more of living expenses sort of saved up. So we didn't need to, to have that because we had our income. Um, and the other thing is that for instance, we had a big savings account for a car. You know, I mentioned before that we, um, that we don't, that we don't uh, take out a loan on our car. Instead, mm-hmm. what we do is we pay ourselves every single month into a savings account, the equivalent of, you know, whatever we would pay, you know, for a car loan. Actually, not the equivalent of less. I think I save about $150 a month, which I don't know many people who are only paying $150 a month on their car loans but we had been saving up. Plus we sold the two cars, you know, obviously they were very old and they had over 150,000 miles on them, but we sold them. And between the cash from those cars and the money that we had, um, in the savings account for the car, we were able to buy a car in cash secondhand, but we were able to buy a car in cash when we landed in Israel, which is amazing because the cost of cars here is much higher. So you're absolutely right. Just having this intentional life Style And and, an intentional plan for our money meant that when we got here, we weren't scrambling. And and interestingly enough, I've started working with two couples who are making Aliyah this coming summer. um, And they've asked me specifically to coach them to get them ready to come to Israel. Um, and you know, think about what are the finances going to be like for them? What are their expenses going to be like? How much money do they need to have in the bank? How do they get all their ducks in a row? What kind of credit card do they need to open in America before they come here? I mean, all of the financial pieces, which I think can be very overwhelming if you don't already have a good system in place. And as I said to, to one of those clients recently, I said, you know, if you have a good system in place in the States, you will be able to transfer it to Israel. It will take some time and you will need to allow yourself to spend more money than you normally would. Because listen, anytime you move, any more more money, right? Right. Um, And anytime and, and making an international trip, you know, move, obviously you're spending more on the move and the tickets. And I, I don't know, we, we ate out a ton the first two months when we were here, it took a month until our stuff even got here. You know, I didn't have a functional kitchen for six weeks. So, Um, you know, we did definitely spend more than I normally would have on a lot of those things. Although I I do sort of want to make a plug for Israel because as we were talking about at the beginning, the lifestyle in America, uh, in order to be a from Jew, you know, that, that stat that you need to make at least, you know, three or $350,000 a year and to be able to afford to send three or four kids to day school. And
0: Mm -hmm. that's
1: just overwhelming. and, And we have actually found that even though. The cost of living is higher on a lot of things in Israel than it is in the States, right? Like cars, gas, um, housing is more expensive. Although I suppose if you come from a very expensive area like, you know, the Bay Area or or New York or the tri-state area, maybe it won't be as much. We were moving from Cleveland where there's a relatively low cost of of housing. Even despite all of that, we're actually spending about $2,000 a month less in Israel (laughs) than we were in America. Wow. And the two big culprits for that, and this is my big push for Zionism. This is, you know, financial Zionism, if I've ever, if I've ever said it. The we two- need to <laughs> coin that term. <laughs> I know, right? I'm going to go out right now and copyright it. The two <laughs> big factors that I see are, number one, the cost of day school. Even if you're receiving tuition assistance, and we thank God, you know, we I mean, we weren't making $350,000 a year, believe me. Um, So we were receiving tuition assistance, but it was still a tremendous burden. It was, you know, our monthly cost of tuition was almost double our mortgage. Okay? So one is we we pay almost nothing for tuition, and we pay a little bit for high school for my son. Uh, We're paying about $1,400 a year in tuition for my high school son. What? A year. I was like, I was paying more than that a month. A month. I know. And two is the cost of health insurance. Because my husband and I were both self-employed in the States, we had very expensive health insurance.
0: Yes, that's a big one.
1: Yeah. We were spending $2,000 a month just on our health insurance.
0: I believe it. Mm-hmm.
1: So between, you know, even though, yes, there are some things that are more expensive here, no doubt about it. And also, you know, I've been a little bit freer with the budget. You know, if the kids want to do things and more activities and and, and more travel and touristy, touristy thing, tourismy things, you know, at the beginning to sort of reconnect them to Israel and the land and, and hiking and trips and vacations and whatever. We've been more free with that than we normally would have been in the seats, but still $2,000 a month less. So if anyone is thinking about making Aliyah and things, well, I can't afford it, I would love for you to reach out to me because you might be able to afford it and then some.
0: Wow. That, that was just great, Mara. You've been so much fun. Mara, let's do a little um, JLP fill in the blank. So oh, gosh, I'm so nervous. Don't be nervous, please. You're going to be great at this. So finish up these sentences for me, okay? Okay, go. I'm um, Maris Drum, and I feel most spiritual when
1: mm, I feel most spiritual when I'm davening through song. Um,
0: mm.
1: Music really like speaks to my soul.
0: Very, very nice. I wasn't expecting that one, and I, I was—I'm very happy you didn't say shopping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you know what's funny is people assume that like I love shopping. I actually really don't like to shop. <laughs> Uh, I actually,
0: (laughs) yes, I actually lost my, my like my, I guess my love, although I don't, I don't know that I ever loved it, but definitely my affinity towards shopping over the years. I I can't stand it anymore. (laughs) But when I was younger, I, you know, it was just like, whatever. Just thank God. Now I don't really enjoy it. And it, it may
1: be a young that, person's thing. Cause I also it, remember being a teenager and in my in early twenties and like going to the mall just to like hang out. I mean, I would never do that now.
0: Maybe. Yeah. And plus it's, it's adulting. It's like, I want to see my money go elsewhere, not Correct. necessarily into my closet. Like I don't sure. really care that much anymore, but yeah. okay. I'm with my, you. Mm-hmm. my favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with is. Well, these are good.
1: Okay. Can I do two or is that going to like disqualify
0: Sure. Go for it.
1: Okay. So one of them is lighting candles, which I realize is sort of the quintessential woman's mitzvah, whatever. But I will tell you that I had two sons and then I had a daughter. And my connection to that mitzvah like just radically changed when my now eight-year-old daughter was born. Um, And I saw myself as a Jewish woman in her and I, I just felt that I was connecting to it really differently after she was born. Um, and and it's still that way. I love it when she's with me. When I light, I, I just, I really like lighting candles. That's one. Um, and the other mitzvah, obviously, connected to kosher in a budget, would be stakha. And mm. specifically, I would say, not just, you know, the requirement of MISER, but also really thinking about how can I give in ways that are giving of my money, but also of like my physicality and my expertise and how can I connect to people and help them, you know, the whole ethos of like, you know, teaching a man how to fish kind of thing. Like yeah, some of the stuff that I do in terms of teaching, I don't know. Is this really a way to sort of help people in a more perhaps long-term strategic way of staka? So that's sort of how I try to look at it as well.
0: Beautiful. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is oh.
1: So I might say again, um, the connection, you know, with my daughter and the first time that I lit candles. I really do remember that first Shabbos after she was born was amazing. But another one that I would like to share is that uh, my oldest had his bar mitzvah almost two years ago, mm-hmm. and um, and as I said, you know, I really connect and really feel spiritual and connected through songs. So. At the end of at the end of Shabbos, um, we had a suddash Sheet at our house. Um, one, you know, one of the things that we had our out of town guests and our close friends from Cleveland were there. And um, at the end of Shabbat, um, a very good friend of ours, um, who's an amazing musician, um, his name is Benjamin Davis. He lives in Philadelphia. Um, he he was there with his sons. His oldest son is best friends with my son. Um, And, and he did a musical Havdalah, um, you know, he played guitar and he sang, and then it was like, it just morphed into this like incredible, incredible Kumsitz and he was singing and all the children were dancing. We like moved all the furniture out of my living room and people were like dancing and it was so Lebedek. And, and of all the things that we did that weekend on the bar mitzvah, I actually wrote about this whole thing on my blog, all of the, you know, bar mitzvah festivities and how we saved money and what we did and blah, blah, blah. This was free essentially. I mean, other than, you know, Rabbi Davis's time, you know, playing right. I mean, he didn't charge me, but let's say that was, you know, not free. But, but this was just such a spiritual high at the end of this incredible weekend. And I think probably your first child's bar about mitzvah is very special as a parent, you know, it's like, you're sort of seeing these life cycle events, um, you know, thank God come to fruition. So you already are feeling very thankful and grateful and blessed and everything. And just that ending was such a, such an emotional and spiritual high for us.
0: Sounds beautiful and amazing. It was,
1: was. and it was so Hamish and just exactly
0: what I love. Uh, uh, Sounds amazing. Something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Oh gosh,
1: there are so many things. So I did not grow up religious um, and I always felt very connected to the sense of community. And again, spiritually, the songs, all of that brought me, you know, singing, davening, all of that brought me to Judaism. Um, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like there was there was a bit of a hole there in terms of, you know, my chinuch. I mean, in, in terms of raising Jewish from kids now, um, you know, they know, more about halacha than i do they knew more about the hagim than i do it's much more intrinsic for them you know they talk about you know the people in the Tanakh is like like people in their lives they talk about mashiach coming as like you know just like an obvious eventuality to them which was not sort of a intimate connection that i had you know in childhood you know i sort of came through it. More intellectually, I guess, you know, through that adult lens than, than as a as a child who just absorbs these things as you know absolute truisms. So, yeah, I guess it's more of a hashkafa or a, like an an outlook than a than a specific thing. I wish I had I had known. Having said that, I think you know, like I wouldn't be who I was if I wasn't raised you know, in the family of origin that I, was, that I was raised in. So I don't regret those things. It's not like, oh, I wish it would have been different. But I, I see now in raising my children just, just how different it is for them in terms of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, the gift of the Jewish education that we're giving them, even though we've stopped being able to do their homeworks with them.
1: Exactly. see <laughs> <laughs> now that my kids' homework is in Hebrew. I mean, my Hebrew is pretty good, but, uh, you know. Oh, so, so now I- – now- Now you can't even help them with math anymore. No, 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 no. The third grader, I'm still okay, but the ninth grader, forget about it.
0: (laughs) You know, I I actually did not realize that about your background, which makes which makes the fact that you are doing what you do even more impressive because i do have to say and you mentioned it before that you know we live in communities and plus the fact that you know their expectations of a more public life is that they're pinterest perfect and you didn't, you know, one might assume that, okay, well, you go out on a limb a little bit about your financial life, and there are taboos to talking about money and society in general. You know, well, if you're comfortable in a community, maybe, you know, one might think it's easier for her. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, she grew up with these people, whatever, she grew up in this environment, but like, you really didn't. And you've made, you've been very open and genuine about the journey and the struggles. And I think that's a really awesome thing. I mean, were you ever scared?
1: Oh my gosh. All the time. And even just hearing you talk about this, like my heart is kind of racing and I'm like, oh God, I don't really know if I want this to go live. It's kind of scary. Um, right. It's really scary. There's, all the, it is scary. there's a lot of judgment. A lot. And, you know, I mean, so when I first started coaching on a Budget, obviously, you know, I mean, my mother and like two of her friends from synagogue were reading, you know, I mean, it wasn't like so intimidating because nobody read the blog. And that's really, there's a story on the blog, if people want to read it, I call it my Jewish Dave Ramsey story. You know, he's a, a financial guru that, yeah. he's actually a Christian guy, and you know, I talk about how I decided to follow him, even though his sort of life mission is so different than my own, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I, so I share this story in six or seven parts of how we realized that we were so in debt, and and, and the story of the mailman, and how we got out of debt and how we saved. And it's very toughless, You know, I'm letting you in on all the, you know, some sort of the kishkas of the, of this story, which, which frankly, you know, don't portray us in the best light, I suppose. Right.
0: And then you have to show up in shul. <laughs> exactly.
1: So when I wrote the story, as I said, no one was reading the blog. Uh, so it wasn't as hard then. Although I did every, every time I was going to publish another installation in this, in this saga, I ran it by my husband first, who's like the most supportive guy in the world. But I said, you know, like, it's your story too. So, Are you okay with this? And he always said yes. I think he was more okay with it than I was, honestly.
0: That's impressive. Mm -hmm. It's
1: amazing. But at the time, we were living in Kansas City, which is a very um, down-to-earth, not-judgmental place to live. And so Uh it didn't feel as intimidating. And it's interesting because three and a half years ago, we moved from Kansas City to Cleveland, which is also down-to-earth and not-judgmental. But the difference is that it's much bigger. And by the time I got to Cleveland, kosher on a Budget was already a thing. You know, like mm-hmm. people already like knew quote unquote coach on a budget. Like sometimes people would be like, oh my God, your coach are on a budget. And I'm like, no, I'm just Mara, you know? So then it became like really overwhelming because I realized like all these people who I don't know know me or at least you know whatever parts that I've shared of me you know online so that actually was kind of scary yeah. I, try to, I try and even just you know saying this about my background you know I try to at the same time be very open and honest because that's the only way really to be and if I want to try to connect to people and, and have them know they're not alone I can't be you know faking it and and you know all cute and perfect and happy all the time um but on the other hand, it's like you still try to guard, like, the innermost parts of your, your life and your identity. Like, people on the blog know that I have three children. They know I have two boys and a girl. They know about how old they are. But I never say their names. I feel like that I want to, like, keep for them.
0: Because mm-hmm. even though my
1: kids think it's, like, so cool that mommy has a blog and people know who Kosher on a Budget is, um, it's like it may not always be cool to them. You know, there may come a time where they're like, uh, oh, I'm not sure I'm such a fan of that, you know, public face for me, you know, club like vis-a-vis the whole world. So I do try to guard it um and yet give to people in a genuine way. It's a very difficult balance. And yes, I do get scared all the time in answer to your question. And I'm feeling scared right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't. It's it's uh but, but I'm very totally, gentle. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Finally, Amara Storm, and today I'm most grateful for.
1: I am most grateful for you, yeah. This was an incredible interview. I get super nervous about things like this. In fact, I say no to like 95% of the asks because I have like such anxiety about it, but you just were amazing. Like you just made this a joy. So thank you so much. I'm very grateful to you for what you do and for for being curious about me and being willing to share me with your listeners.
0: Thanks again to Mara Strom for stopping by. Her website is kosheronabudget.com. You can sign up for her newsletter to receive regular updates on every awesome deal pretty much on the planet. And if you want to save 30% a month on your groceries, seriously, head over to kosheronabudget.com forward slash grocery now to sign up for Kosher Grocery Academy. The price of the course is only $97 and it is super worth it. And I mean that bold letters. Super worth it. Should I say that again? <laughs> it's beyond worth it. You do the math. I mean, $97. You do the math of how much you're going to be saving. It's really, I've done it. It's really, really good. You can also get your copy of the Better Budget Guide, which distills everything Mara has been teaching on the blog, her lectures, and to private coaching clients in one easy to download book and word book for the awesome price of $9.99 when you use the code princess at checkout. And thank you, Mara, for giving us these amazing resources. We're very, very grateful and to everybody out there have a wonderful rest of your week thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on iTunes leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love to access today's show notes ask Yael a question or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show visit JewishLatinPrincess.com